Thanks for listening to the Seeds Church Podcast. If you're in Middle Tennessee, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our services. Check out SeedsChurchTN.com for times and locations. Now, here's our lead pastor, J.D. Swilly. Well, today we are in part four of this new year, new uh, you ser- series, and I don't know if you've been seeing this idea out there in other places, New Year, New You. It's not like unique to Seeds Church. Uh, you know, I've been seeing it in a lot of different marketing pieces. Uh, I- I've seen it in uh, advertising for new music, you know, New Year, New Music, New Year, New Gadgets, New Year, New Body and Health, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, new Year, New Style, New Fashion. There's some other things like that. And uh, there's even another church here in Murfreesboro, kind of in the Blackman area. You drive by, and right there out on their marquee, it says, New Year, New You, details inside. You know, they're trying to bait you to get in there. But anyway, but, but all these things here on this list, they, they all have a common denominator. Uh, you know, they're trying to push New Year, New You, but the common denominator is that they all have to do with, with things that are external, Right? Uh, external changes. And that's how the world approaches change. The world approaches change like, well, if we can change this circumstance and change this situation and change this external thing, then we'll have the change that I'm looking for. But real change doesn't happen from the outside in. Real change happens from the inside out. And that's why we can confidently say what we've been saying over the last few weeks that 2019, this year, can be your best year ever if it's your best year spiritually. Because it's not contingent upon circumstances. It's not contingent about, upon how much money you have in the bank account. It's not contingent upon how happy you are or not at your job. It's not contingent upon even all these outward external things. What it's contingent upon is your intimacy with the Lord. Your willingness to be obedient to Him. 2019 can be the best year of your life. And then you know what? You can go to 2020, and then it can be the best year of your life too. You see how this works? We spend so much of our time and our money and our energy into pursuing situational change, but it doesn't really get us anywhere. So so why is it that real change happens from the inside out and not the outside in? Because of this. Because life is driven Not by just what you know. Life is not driven just by what you know. The decisions that you make are are not made just because you have information. Just because you have knowledge. We make our decisions because we have desires. Your life is driven not just by what you know, but by what you desire. The driving motivation for the choices that you make comes from the place of desire, not from the place of information. We live in the information age. Information is available at our fingertips 24 hours a day, seven days a week, no matter wherever we are in the world, we have information available to us. All kinds of information. (laughs) Some of it's correct, some of it's incorrect, but we have information available to us. And over the past many decades, our level of information has exponentially increased I mean, I started thinking about this even with my own kids' education. You know, what our kids are having to learn how the world works compared to what kids had to learn in school 30 years ago 
or 60 years ago or 100 years ago. It's way different. It's way different. So we've got this exponential amount of information that has increased, but our level of making good decisions and choices has not really kept up. It doesn't measure up in the same way. Why is that? Because our life is not driven by what we know, but by what we desire. I mean, have you ever known that you you shouldn't have done something, but you did it anyway? You knew. You had the information. I shouldn't do this, but you did it anyway. And how many of you have ever not done something? You knew that you shouldn't have done it, but you... Or did I already say that? (laughs) Flip it around. You did something, but you knew you shouldn't have, and you did it anyway, and then you didn't do something. You know you should have, but you didn't do it. Why is that? Right? Okay. Now we're getting it. People are raising their hands. I'm not confused anymore. Why is that? Because your life is not driven just by information, but by desire. The Apostle Paul talks about that. He writes to the Roman church, and this is what he says in Romans 7.15. He says, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Have you ever felt that way? Can you ever identify with that? I think it's a very relatable scripture. I don't know why I do the things I do. I don't know why I flew off the handle like that. I don't know why I opened my big mouth again. I don't know why I spent that money when I knew I should have saved it. I don't know why I ate that when I knew I should have eaten this. See, information alone is not the the thing that's able to change you. You can have great information, but if your desires don't change, you won't change. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but first and foremost, we as human beings are lovers. We are lovers of things. We are, are created and designed to love things. We, how do we know this? Because we're all created in the image and likeness of God. Every human being has the imprint of God on the inside of them. The, of the God who said he himself is love. So we are designed to love We're designed to to live our life by our desires. We're driven by our desires. I know that this is how it works in my life. Uh, I mean, since I was a teenager, I've been learning and studying about what it means to have good health and good nutrition and good exercise and good eating habits. And there, there have been times in, in my life where I've abided by those and been times in my life where even though I've got all this information, my desires whisper to me. And they say things like, eat the french fries. <laughs> they don't amen at that, Brother Rick. <laughs> and, they, and, my, and my desires whisper to me. Right? And I know it's not good for me. I know it's not good for me. But what are, my desires are, are screaming louder than the information that I know. And honestly, I think this whole principle is reflected in what this hot button topic that we see going on right now in, in abortion. We have the information, we have the science that says that is a life, it's not an opinion. We have the truth. 
But what about our desires? Picture your life. It's like a car. Your life is like a car, and you've got knowledge and information over here in the passenger seat. But right here in the driver's seat, you've got desire. I remember when I was uh, 15, and I was just learning to drive, right? And uh, my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, is kind of in this state right now. She's just learning to drive. And, and so I think back about you know, how I probably tortured my parents uh, in, in that stage of my life. And I remember this one day that um, my dad was riding shotgun with me, and we were cruising down the road, cruising down Brawley Parkway in our early 90s Dodge Grand Caravan. And my dad tells me, hey, you know, look up here for this next, next exit. We're going to take this exit, and it's going to merge onto I-24 East. And I'm like, yeah, I, I got that. I know where we're going. And, uh, and he says, now remember, though, once you get onto I-24 East, you're going to have to get over into that far left lane pretty quickly because we're going to exit onto uh, 65 North. And this is before Briley Parkway was all finished all the way and was discombobulated. So we had to do this whole weird thing. And... Um, and so we'd taken that trip a thousand times. I knew exactly what needed to be done. So I take that exit. We're coming up to I-24. And all I'm thinking in my head is, I got to get in the far left lane. I got to get in the far left lane. I got to get in that far left lane. Now, keep in mind, I'm 15 years old. I've only been driving for just a few months. And I know everything there is about driving, right? Yeah? <laughs> We're going about 60 miles an hour, and we start to merge onto I-24, and I'm just sitting there thinking, get on get in that far left lane, and I'm like, there it is. There's the far left lane. Let's go for it. I just beeline it. I'm going there. My dad is like, ah, oh, and he grabs the OS bar. He, he puts his hand on the, on the dashboard like that, and he's just like, ah. Oh. Cars are laying on their brakes trying to avoid hitting me, running into the back of me, or me side-swiping them. Now, now I'm in that far left lane, and cars are passing me, and I'm getting, like, their people are laying on their horn, honking. I had one guy tell me that I was number one, but he wasn't using this finger. And my dad, my dad, he loses it. And he hollers out, what are you doing? And he slams his fist on the dashboard so hard that I was actually surprised that the, the airbag didn't deploy. And I'm just over here like, what? What's the big deal? You I knew what to do. You told me what to do. I've done this before. You know, we've made this drive before. I knew where I needed to be, getting the far left lane. So I did. I got there. And here we are. We're safe. Nobody's hurt. My poor dad. My poor dad who had... Decades of driving experience. He had all this knowledge of knowing how to get us from where we were supposed to be to where we needed to be safely without hurting ourselves or anyone else or making anyone angry. But he was completely powerless. Why? Because he was in the passenger seat. And I was in the driver's seat. Right? And it's the same way. That's how it works in our lives. Information and knowledge are extremely important. They're very important. Education is very important. Having the right information and the right knowledge is very important. But it's not the thing that drives your life. 
Desire is the thing that has its hands on the wheels. Desire has its foot on the gas. Why do we do the things that we do? Because we want to. There might be things that even you look back on and you regret, and you're like, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Because in the moment you wanted to. Why did I yell at my wife? Why did I make that promise to my kids and I didn't follow through? Why didn't I work hard enough on that project? Well, because in the moment, that's what you wanted to do. You wanted to be in control. You wanted to be lazy. You wanted to prove that you were right. That's what you wanted. That's what you desired the most in that moment because everything we do is driven by desire. This is true even for the things that we don't think we want to do. Tomorrow morning, some of you are going to wake up and you're not going to want to feel the best. And you're going to be tempted, oh, I think I'll just call in. I think I'll just take a sick day. I know I'm not super sick, but I think I'll just take a sick day. Or I think I'll just skip class. But then you think to yourself, wait, wait a second. What happens if I really do get sick and then I'm kind of out of sick days? And I've just kind of spent and burned all this time here. You know what? Even though I don't want to, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to work. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go to class. Because you have a desire. You have a desire to provide for your family. You have a desire to grow your business. You have a desire to get the good grades and keep your scholarship or whatever it is. You, you, you have a desire to, to gain abundance so that you can be a blessing to other people. And that desire is greater than your desire to barely scrape by. It's greater than your desire to go on welfare or be homeless and have no abundance. So even the things that you might, you might think, well, I don't want to do that, but you still, it's a greater desire to do it than it is to get the result of the other thing. Does that make sense? So if you really want to embrace this idea of the new year, new you, then you've got to have to address your desires. So often we focus on the external things like we mentioned earlier. But we, what we need to understand is, is this, is that our behavior follows our heart. Our behavior follows our heart. You know what? We can get all caught up in behavior modification. Well, if I just do this, if I just get this, if I can just attain this, and we're so focused on the external things, but if you're not addressing your heart, it's like pulling weeds. You go out to the garden and you see a weed and you grab it and you pull the top off of it and you throw that thing away, but the root remains in the ground. And guess what happens? It's going to grow right back. It's going to grow right back. And that's what focusing on behavior modification will do. Oh, you're going to, yeah, great. You went to the gym for three days and then it's three more weeks until you went to the gym again. Why is that? Because your heart is not there. And see, we're talking, about, we're talking about a physical thing. Which physical? Some physical things are very important. But what about things that are even greater than that? What about the, the issues of the soul? What about the issues of the spirit? So, so, so behavior follows your heart, and your heart follows what you worship. Your behavior follows your heart, and your heart follows what you worship. You know, worship is not just the singing portion 
of our gatherings. It's not just like when we get together and sing, oh, well, that was the worship. Worship is, is much more than singing. It's much more than music. Worship is about what your heart pursues. The great German reformer Martin Luther said this. He said that whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that really is your God. Whatever your heart clings to and confides in, that really is your God. And if we look back and we look through ancient times, we we read a lot about idolatry, right? Idolatry. People would craft some kind of image, some kind of statue. might be this big. It might be a big giant thing. And then they would, they would say, this thing represents this, this god, a false god. And then they would worship that idol. They would worship that false god. And, and if this is true, if this is true that whatever our heart clings to, whatever our heart confides in, that thing really is our god, then for some of us, we, we, we are in idolatry. I think it's really easy for us to read in the Bible or in history books about idolatry and for us to think to ourselves, well, I'm so glad we're all smarter than that now. You know, we don't do that anymore. We're above all that. I got 99 problems, but bowing down and worshiping an idol ain't one. But if this, is, if this is the case, what your heart clings to and confides in is really your God, then for some of us, our job is a God. For some of us, it's a relationship. For some of us, it's, it's, um, it's a standard that you set for yourself or someone else set for you, and you're trying to attain that and reach that, and that is your God. For some of us, it's your family. It, it, it doesn't even have to be bad or negative things. But idolatry is when we take any kind of thing that is made and we give it our life's pursuit to that and not our life's pursuit to God. I think for some of us, we can even, I know that I have done this myself, so I'm telling on myself, where we can worship not the God of the ministry, but I worship the ministry that God called me to. I found myself in that position more than one time in my life, where I find myself, I'm I've taken the work of the Lord and I've actually elevated that and worshiped that and not worshiped God. That's where that song that Matt Redman wrote came from, the heart of worship. It came from that place of God. We have, have elevated things that you have made, things that are supposed to give honor to you. We've actually given more honor to those things than we have to you. We, we wonder, why do we do the things that we do? It's because you're... Behavior follows your heart, and your heart follows what you worship. So here's another key to unlocking new year, new you. It's this. If you want to change what you do, then change what you love. If you want to change what you do, change what you love. So now the question is, what do you love? What is it that you daydream about? What do you want, where does your mind wander to? What are your dreams and hopes and aspirations? And whatever the answer is to that, that is your God. The book of Ezra tells this story about the people of Israel when they were in exile and they were in captivity to the Babylonians. And so for 70 years, 
you know, the, the people of Israel, the, the best and the brightest people of Israel, were in captivity to the Babylonians. And, and a new king comes along, and he's like, hey, y'all can go on home now. <laughs> we're done with this. You can go back to your homeland and start rebuilding your lives. And so that's what they did. They, go, they went back to where, you know, Jerusalem, and they start rebuilding the city. And the fir- one of the first things they start doing is rebuilding the temple. It's a fantastic thing. So this guy named Ezra shows up on the scene. And Ezra is a godly man. Ezra is a priest, and he shows up so that he can help reinstitute worship to God and help worship become a regular part of the life of the Israelites once again and have it the right place in their culture and in their lifestyle. And when Ezra shows up, he's kind of met with a good news, bad news kind of scenario. The good news is, hey, the temple is being rebuilt. That's great news. Hey, we're on the right path to getting worship reinstituted once again. The bad news is this. The bad news is that the, the Israelites have started intermarrying among other people groups in that region. Now, you might think, well, what's the big deal with that? What's the big deal? Why, you, know, you should just be able to marry whoever you want to marry. But um, we're, we're like, we live in America, so we're a big melting pot, right? So we don't think of this as being a real big deal. But back in the day, this was a big no-no because God had specifically instructed them not to do this. Do not intermarry with other nations. Well, why is that? Because other nations have different values. They have different beliefs. They have different customs. They have different practices. And, and the, main problem, the main problem was this, that other nations had false gods. And worship to these false gods included doing things like sacrificing children, temple prostitution, all kinds of other ungodly activities, Right? And, and, and so what, what happens when you marry someone? When you marry someone, the two become one, right? That's what the scriptures tell us. And so you adopt, whoever you marry, you adopt some of their behaviors and their customs and their beliefs and their culture and their values, right? And that's what, was, that's what was happening. And so the reason why God was clear about them, he was like, I don't want you to intermarry with other nations because he was trying to protect their heart from worshiping false gods. He wanted their, his, their hearts to continue to stay toward, them, toward him and not toward the false gods. So Ezra finds out that they had intermarried with other nations and he loses it. He slams his fist on the dashboard and he says, what are you doing? He loses it. And this is what it says here. This is what he wrote here. Ezra chapter 9, verse 3. It says, when I heard this, I tore my tunic and cloak. So the first thing, he pulls a Hulk Hogan, and he rips his yellow you know, tank top. But he doesn't stop there. He's upset. And he says, I pulled hair from my head and beard and sat down appalled. Now, I've been upset before, but I have never been so upset that I pulled my own hair out of my head and certainly not out of my beard. But that's how upset Ezra is in this moment. And he says, then everyone who trembled at the words of God, I mean, the people who are like, oh, crud, what have we done? This is, this is good. This is good when you realize, oh, what have we done? He says, they gathered around me because of this unfaithfulness of the exiles. 
And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Why is Ezra so upset about this? Well, if you read throughout the Old Testament, we we repeatedly see this picture of God relating to his people like a husband would relate to his bride. But the problem in this scenario is that the wife, the bride, had been unfaithful. Been unfaithful to the husband. Israel had cheated on God by worshiping false gods. And when we read through the Old Testament, we see several different instances of how God expresses how he feels betrayed by the nation of Israel, just like a husband would feel betrayed when he finds out if his wife is cheating on him. So Ezra is just devastated because he sees the severity of this. This is no minor thing. This is no light thing. This is a thing that's to be taken seriously when you cheat on God. And, and so this guy named Shechaniah steps up. Now, Shechaniah, the interesting thing about him is that Shechaniah was one of the good guys. He's one of the guys that had stayed holy. He's one of the guys that didn't enter into worship to false gods. He didn't intermarry, but he's part of the community. And he knows that. He's not over here just living his life cloistered away. No, he's part of the, he's part of the community. He's part of the nation, so he steps up to take responsibility. That's what leaders do. Leaders take up, step up and say, hey, we, we got we to gotta change course here. We got to right the wrong here, even though they may not have done anything. We got we to do something about this. And that's what Shechaniah does. He steps up to get things back on track. And this is what it says in Ezra chapter 10, verse 2. It says, then Shechaniah said to Ezra, we have been unfaithful to our God by marrying foreign women from the peoples around us. So he's owning up to it. You know, from time to time in our lives... Uh, we can find ourselves pursuing other gods. And again, we're not like worshiping little statues, little idols. But we've taken things that have been made, and we're worshiping those. And we're giving our heart and our attention and our affection to those things that are made instead of to he who is the unmade one. And some of us, we've got our Christian life over here. And we believe in God. We have belief. We believe in Jesus. We might even do some Christian practices from time to time. We might go to church sometimes. We might read our Bible from time to time. We might pray from time to time. We might give from time to time. But we've just left our, this little world exist over here. And then we've got the rest of our life right here. And we've not allowed this part to have any influence of the rest of our life. And that's what's happening here. There's a disconnect. There's no connection between this and this. And if you're really going to embrace new year, new you, these two things have to be one and the same. These two things have to be one and the same. It's going to take you having to change what you love, you having to change the direction of your heart. You can't have this duality existing within you and expect Oh, I'm just going to have this new year, new you thing. It's not going to happen. You've got to stop pursuing false gods. Start pursuing the one true God and letting him have control of your life. If you really want to see this change, that's what's going to take. I love what our friend Joshua McLeod said last week about repentance. He said, repentance is not about feeling bad. Repentance is about changing direction. 
I mean, I know all kinds of people that feel bad because of, you know, what they've done or the situation they find themselves in, but then they don't change direction. So it's not about feeling bad. Repentance is about changing the direction. It's about, hey, oh, I'm going this way, and I realize, and I wake up, oh, wait, this is not the way. This is not how I want to go. This is not the uh, direction I'm headed. It's not the way I want to go. I'm going to change course. I'm going to go in this direction now. You know what the cool thing is about repentance? The great thing about repentance is that when you go this way and you repent and you say, oh, I don't want to go in this this direction anymore. I want to go in this direction. You turn toward hope. You turn toward hope. You turn toward Jesus, who's the hope of all nations. I love what Shechaniah says next. He says this, but in spite of this, in spite of the unfaithfulness, in spite of our cheating on God, there is still hope for Israel. And the same is true for you and me today. In spite of the ways that we may have been unfaithful, in spite of the ways where we may have adopted false gods, in spite of the way where we may have intermarried into the culture and adopted things and values and customs and practices that we shouldn't have done, in spite of that, there's still hope. Jesus is the hope of all nations. Yes, it's okay to be excited about that. This is the best thing I've said all day, you guys. It's the best thing. The, the, the writer of Hebrews, chapter 11, uh, uh, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 5, the writer of Hebrews reminds us of this truth, of something that God says repeatedly throughout the scripture, and this is what God says. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. That's good news. Come on. Get excited about that. God, I just thank you right now. You never leave us. You never accept us. Jesus, That there is still hope. There is still hope for us. There's still hope for Israel. God, you are the hope of all nations. We point our lives in your direction right now. Amen. What did the people of Israel do? They said, hey, we've got to separate now. We got to make some separations. We got to separate ourselves from these false gods that we've been pursuing. And that is the exact same call to action for you and me today. This is probably going to require some solitude, it's probably going to require some silence without distraction, with the help of the Holy Spirit revealing to you some ways that you need to change direction and turn toward hope. You know, it's really easy for us to go to God and pray a prayer that's like, God, you know, I need your help to make my life all that I want it to be. But what our prayers really ought to sound like is, God, I need your help to change my life and everything that you want it to be. We like to focus on the fact that God is for us. And that is absolutely true. God is for us. He is working on our behalf. He has our best interest at heart. That is absolutely true. But, you know, we we like to quote Romans 8.31 all day long. If God is for us, who can be against us, right? Praise God for that. But what did Paul write just three verses earlier? It's part of what we sang earlier today. It says, we know that all things work for good. For those who love God, love God, love 
God. What's love have to do with it? Desire. We're driven by our desires. And it doesn't just, doesn't just stop there. Paul said, and who are called according to his purpose. Not my purpose. Not something I make up. Not something that I just dreamed up. His purpose. Yes, it's true. God is for me. And it's also true. I need to be for God. I was made for him. He was not made for me. So instead of approaching God and saying, God, here's my life. Help me make it an awesome one. I say, God, here's my life. You do with it whatever you want to do. Jesus said this, John chapter 14, verse 15. He says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. And I just can I just tell you this is I'm going over these notes last night in my office just by myself and I just was felt really prompted. You know, I want to read this entire chapter. So I go to John chapter 14, and I start reading through the entire chapter. And John, 4, John 13 through 17, these, these chapters are like the last moments that Jesus has with his disciples during the Passover before he goes to Gethsemane and then gets arrested, and then we, we know the rest from there. And so in these last moments that Jesus has with, with his disciples in John 14 here, this is one of the things that he says, if you love me, then you obey my commandments. But if you read the entire chapter, but you read it within the context of love, he, he doesn't really say the word love. The, the word love is not mentioned a ton throughout that entire chapter. But if you read the chapter with the context of knowing God loves me, oh my gosh, I just started breaking down and just had a little Holy Spirit like cry fest last night just by myself, realizing <laughs> God loves me. And I think, to be honest with you, I've read this scripture, if you love me, you obey my commandments, and I've read it for years and years and years, and I've placed the emphasis on obey and commandments. Those words are there. They do exist. It's part of the deal, right? But my emphasis was, Jesus, I just love you, so I want to obey your commandments. But I think I would have been doing better. I think I would have been doing myself better if I had been praying something like, Jesus, give me a greater revelation of how much you love me so that I can love you better, so I'll know how to love you. Isn't that what John said? That we can love only because he first loved us? And so, God, I, I know that if I get a greater revelation of how much you love me, the natural response for my heart will be to return that love back to you. And the natural fruit of that kind of relationship is that I'll just obey your commandments. It's a byproduct. The obey my commandments part is not the, oh God, I want to obey my, your commandments. No, it's just natural fruit. It's just natural byproduct. It's like an apple tree. An apple tree doesn't go, oh, produce apples. Mm. No, it just does it because it's, part of its DNA and our, if, if I get a greater revelation of God's love for me and I return that love back to God then the automatic fruit of my life the automatic response of my life is I'm going to obey, obey his commandments and what I'm going to find I'm going to find I'm new new year new you you want to change 
Change what you love. Love is the greatest motivation. It's amazing what you're willing to do when you love someone. It's amazing what what Jesus did for us because he loved us. Jesus gave everything for you so that you could confidently, with boldness, with certainty, know that you can give everything to him. So the question is this, how do we change what we love? How do you set your heart in this direction? How do you set your attention and your focus and your affections on God? Turn from false gods. How do you do that? It's a great question. We're going to extend this series another week. We're going to talk about that. So come back next week. Why don't you stand with me right now? We're going to sing together here in just a moment. And we're going to sing, take my life and let it be as a declaration to God. Don't don't let these just be lyrics on the screen that you repeat to a melody. Let this be the cry of your heart today, saying, God, take my life and let it be consecrated whole to thee. Before we sing this, before we sing this declaration to God, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you that you are a good Father and that you love us because you love us. Because you love us, 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 because you love us. Love is the greatest motivation and you just love us, not because of what we do, but because it's just who you are. God, we just ask right now for a greater revelation of your love. I ask for a greater revelation of love for myself, God. I want to see myself the way that you see me. I want to see how much you love me. I want not to just know it and have that information, but I want it to shape my desires. And God, I want it to shape my desires in such a way that I don't want to yell at my wife. And that I want to keep my promises to my kids. And that I work diligently when I'm supposed to work. God, I give you my desires. I want you to shape them and mold them. God, I pray that you would give me a download of revelation of your love for other people so that, so that this, this relationship of love is not just between you and me, God, but it's between me and the world and you. That you can use me, God, to show other people that you love them. You can use this community, God. You can use this body of believers. You can use all the believers in Middle Tennessee, God. You can use all the believers in the state of New York, God. To show how much you love and to shape our desires, God. If you're here today and you're not a Christ follower, maybe you've never been, you've ne- maybe you've never believed, or at least you've, maybe you've believed but you've never followed, or maybe you used to, but you're not now. And if you want to change that, make the decision today, I want to follow Jesus. I want to give you an opportunity to do that. Some people, they pray this prayer and they call it the sinner's prayer. I think the prayer is good, but I don't like the name of it. <laughs> because once we pray it, 
We don't identify as a sinner anymore. We identify as a saint. So I want to invite you. I'm just going to pray, and I want to invite you. If you want to make the decision today to follow Jesus, I invite you to just pray this after me, right there where you're standing. And if you're a believer and you just want to pray it, this is just a reaffirmation and confirmation and just saying, hey, Jesus, you still have my life. You pray it with me too. Heavenly Father, I come to you, and I just pour out my life before you now, God, and I lay it all out, and I'm tired of the direction that I'm going. I I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I knew what I was doing. I was changing lanes. But God, I didn't know what I was doing. And so now I see I I need to chart a new course. And I turn in the direction toward you. I turn in the direction toward hope. God, I'm, I'm sorry for the way I lived. And I confess to you that that was wrong. And I ask you to forgive me. And God, I just thank you that we have the promise from the scriptures, promise from your word, your word, God, that says that if we confess our sin, that you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and clean us from all unrighteousness. And so, God, we receive that forgiveness from you now. We we believe that you are the one true God. Jesus, we declare that you are Lord, that you are the Son of God, that you died on the cross for our sins, that God raised you from the dead. And we declare you as Lord. We give our lives to you. I give my life to you, God. Take my life and let it be set apart, set aside for your purposes. You, God, you be in the driver's seat. You take control of my desires. Help shape my desires. And God, I ask you by the work and the power of your Holy Spirit to come into my life. Fill me with your spirit and Help me make a difference with my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. Stay connected with us at SeedsChurchTN.com and on social media. Our mission at Seeds Church is to help people discover who God created them to be and equip them to do what He called them to do. One of the easiest ways you can help us accomplish our mission is by simply sharing this podcast. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening. We hope to see you soon.